Thank you, men. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn together to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 in our Bibles this morning. They say it's going to be a beautiful day today. Warm. And then I think that might be it. <laughs> I don't know. I've enjoyed the 60 degree weather, so I'll enjoy today. So uh, we had an addition to our family this week. Cindy didn't have a baby. Um, we got a puppy. Yeah. Cindy just kept demanding. She had to have a dog, you know her. But uh, it was funny, on, I guess it would have been Friday night, we got the thing, and uh, <laughs> Ian kept saying, for real, Dad, for real, you're not joking, you know, we're really going to get, we're going to keep this puppy. I said, yeah, we're going to keep this puppy. And he's like, I can't believe this. I never thought this would happen. He just kept going on and on. And I thought, you know, have I been that big of a dream crusher this whole kid's life? Would you like a dog? No. <laughs> so anyway, so this morning I was in the garage. That's not my normal Sunday morning spot to review, but I was in the garage sitting there on a folding chair, got the, the beast some food and took him out. And, and he likes to be petted and rubbed and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I was reading, and he, he didn't want me to read. He wanted me to scratch him. You know, so I'm scratching with one hand, and I'm reading aloud. And finally, I don't know if it was the message or what, but he got up, and he walked back to his kennel and went in there, turned around with his rear end facing me, and just put his head down. <laughs> so I don't know if, if I'm, I'm not, I don't want your expectations to be too high anyway. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if he went to sleep or not. I don't think he did. But he was breathing pretty heavily. So uh, if you go to sleep on me this morning, you won't be the first one, okay, <laughs> to sleep through this message. Hey, we've got a service project taking place this week. Um, a dear lady in our church found out about another church member whose house was really in need of a new roof. Been leaking quite badly for some time, and they didn't have the uh, finances to fix that. And uh, this dear lady in our church heard about that, and she said that she wanted to purchase the materials, which came to about $4,500. And, uh, but we, we, would, we could use some help if uh, you have the ability to tear off shingles. That'll be taking place Friday. You can find out more information about that in the office uh, as far as the address and what time we're starting. Of course, it'll be weather permitting. And, uh, and then Saturday, we're going to have a group of guys uh, we, I should say we need a group of guys. Right now it's just George and me. Um, I'm going to rework my schedule this week so I can be there both Friday and Saturday, both for the tear-off. We're going to try to get torn off on Friday, pray for no rain, Friday night, and then Saturday uh, put the new roof on. So it's not a, a, a really large roof, but we could use some manpower. So if you know how to work a nail gun or even just feed shingles to someone, um, that would be a huge help. And if you can't stay a long day, that's okay. You can, if you can come out for a couple of hours, that would be a help. So, and even if you don't want to get on the roof, no doubt there will be some scraps to pick up and throw away and clean up around the house and things like that. So think about it. And if you're interested, I'll make more mention of it tonight and, and Wednesday as the weather unfolds for us. But Friday and Saturday, great opportunity. Great opportunity to serve and love the body of Christ. Um, you're in John chapter 10. And um, we concluded John 9. We got through it last week. Uh, what a wonderful chapter. We have the 
the healing of that man who was blind, and of course, the, they, they threw him out of the temple. Do you remember that? This man, Jesus, heals his sight. The man had never been able to see his entire life, and uh, God uh, heals him. He makes him see, and, uh, and then the man gives testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. He must be a prophet. I don't know where he is. I don't know who he is. I don't know what his name is. <laughs> But ultimately, the man comes to saving faith in John chapter 9. It's an incredible testimony. Um, in, in, in the Pharisees, the legalistic, self-righteous, arrogant, proud, uh, somewhat annoying religious leaders, uh, they hate this man because he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they hated him for it. And, um, and so much so that they actually throw him out of the temple. Now, think about this. This was an exciting day for the man. He comes to sight. Um, I mean, what a day that must have been for him. And the very day he comes to sight, he comes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and he's able to see spiritually and physically. And the very same day, the religious leaders, uh, the who's who of his society, throw him out of the temple. And uh, how many of you here think that they loved that man at all? No. Who did they love? They loved themselves. That's who they loved. They loved themselves. They only cared about people as far as those people would promote and elevate them. That's all they cared about was themselves. And it really is very sad. At the end of chapter 9, look there with me for just a moment. It says in verse 39 of John 9, And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see. And of course, he was speaking primarily of spiritually, and that they which see might be made blind. And often Jesus would speak in parables so that the unbelievers wouldn't be able to understand his message. That's interesting. Of course, the Lord knew who, whose hearts, the hearts of each individual. I don't know the hearts of anybody, really, And then in verse number 40, look, And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Like, go ahead, offend us, I dare you. Tell me me that I'm blind. Tell me that I don't know what I need. And in verse 41, Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. In other words, if you were blind, if if you thought you needed my help, you'd be forgiven. Um, But he goes on and he says this, But now you say, we see, I don't have any needs, therefore your sin remaineth. And that's how we ended chapter 9. What a very sad statement. And we had this huge, incredible contrast, so clear, this contrast, between this blind man who was physically blind, but he knew he he had a need, and, and Jesus met his need. Um, and that was, that's contrasted with these, these religious men, these religious leaders of Jerusalem and, and, and Judaism, and they thought they could see. They didn't think they had any need at all, and, they, and we leave them here blind. That's where we left them last week. So I, I encourage you as your pastor, let's not go through life with the attitude of, I don't need what God has. I don't need his word I don't need his church. I, I don't need his power in my life. I, and I don't know that anybody here would have that attitude, but let's go through life more like the blind man who knew he had a need. I need the Lord. I need God's plan in my life. 
Um, let's look at our text. Chapter 10 of John, I'm going to read it. I'll read down through verse, only down through verse number, verse number, oh, let's see here, verse number 21, I think is where I'll stop. And uh, so John chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And this parable spake Jesus unto them, but, that, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Now remember, he's talking to the same people. The blind man still may be here. The religious leaders are still here. His disciples are still around him. He's, so that we're still in the same context. Look at verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the, the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so not know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. And the fold here, by the way, is Judaism. Okay? Uh, Israel, in a more broad sense. And Jesus is saying, I've got more sheep. And that would be a reference to you and me, Gentiles. I'm so glad for that. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And you're one of those who've heard his voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. And of course, he would do that. This commandment have I received of my Father. And there was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings, the religious leaders. And many of them said, He hath the devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Why are you listening to him? We think he's demon-possessed. And in verse 21, others said, These are not the words of him that hath the devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word. What a familiar passage to many of us, and some have never even read these words before. So, Father, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak as only you can speak, by your word, by your spirit, to individuals with humble hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd give us understanding. Father, I pray that we would rejoice this morning that we're a part of your sheep, and that we do hear your voice, and that we do recognize you as our shepherd. And Lord, as the good shepherd, you know each one of us. And you love each one of us, and you are faithful to each one of us, and care 
for each one of us in our current state. So, Lord, bless our hearts this morning. Grow us closer to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first half of John chapter 10, Jesus' death is very clearly in focus. In fact, look back, I read it, but look back at verses 17 and 18. He says there in the middle of verse 17, I lay down my life that I may take it again. Now remember, he hasn't gotten there yet. He's only about three months away from that. Um, He's facing all kinds of rejection. People are hating him. The religious leaders are out to kill him. That's very obvious we've seen as we've studied in the Gospel of John. But he's talking to them, and he says, "I, I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and we know that he would do that, and I have power to take it again, and we celebrate his resurrection. Not only did he have the the authority, and on the cross he would say, uh, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost, he gave up his spirit, willfully gave his own life for you and for me, us as corporately, but us as individuals. So nobody took his life from him. The Romans didn't take his life. The religious leaders didn't take his life. And we've seen that, haven't we? His supremacy, um, uh, his sovereignty, even in his death. They wanted to kill him. And they couldn't until it was time. And then he did it for you and for me. And not only did he give his life, but he took it back. Um, He was able to give himself life again and... And so we praise him and worship him as God. So in the first half of the chapter, Jesus' death is in focus. In verses 1 through 15, Jesus talks about the shepherd, and he talks about the fold. Um, And again, I want to tell you, to help you with understanding here, understanding this passage, the fold has to do with Judaism. And it's very, very clear when we read it in the context of what we've just studied last week in chapter 9. But then also we see... Uh, later on in the beginning of this chapter, that he talks about the shepherd and the flock, or the shepherd and his sheep, which is a combination of born-again Jews as well as born-again Gentiles, uh, his flock. And he leads us in and out. He takes care of us. He provides for us. He knows what's best for us. He tends to us, um, all those who have believed upon his name. Okay, and we praise God for that. So, I think you'll be greatly aided as, I, as we look through this passage if you remember that the blind man in chapter 9 has just left the fold of Judaism. Okay? Now he's, he's not less than a Hebrew. Um, he was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. But he needed to be saved. And he found salvation only in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they, the legalistic religious leaders, in Judaism had diverted in many ways from what God had actually given them. They had added to it, um, and there was this self-righteousness that God had never given to them. He had never led them in the way of self-righteousness, but they found themselves there. And this man is leaving the fold of Judaism, and he is entering the flock of the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that incredible testimony in chapter 9, now Jesus teaches on the matter of the flock, or excuse me, the fold, which can include pride and arrogance and um, self-righteousness and self-dependence and rebellion against the good shepherd, hatred even for the good shepherd, as we saw in the 
the, the, from the mouths of the religious leaders to the, to the flock or the sheep that hear Jesus' voice and know him, and he knows them, and he takes care of them. Okay. So keep that in mind as we study here in chapter 10 here this morning. You're in chapter 10. I want to notice, first of all, that our Lord is the door of the fold. Okay, look at verse number 1 again. I'm going to read down through verse 7, and then we'll work our way through it. In verse 1 of chapter 10, he says, Verily, verily, and those words have the idea of behold or look and see, don't miss this, I say unto you, the ones that he just said, Your sin remaineth, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief, and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth into the fold, is what he's talking about. John the Baptist might well have been uh, like a porter or a servant, a forerunner of the Lord, to declare to the Jews that Jesus was their Messiah. Do you remember he did that? Uh, and he, he says, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. That would have been like this blind man in chapter 9. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And this parable spake Jesus unto them. But they, the religious leaders, who he's just told, your sin remaineth, you're still dead in your sins and trespasses. And there are people like that today. But they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Okay, so I notice, first of all, our Lord is the door of the fold. And the story here that Jesus is telling, and it's a story, um, he's using a story to illustrate spiritual truths, to bring people to understanding of spiritual truths, the story revolves around three particular characters. You have the robber, and you have the true shepherd, and you have the stranger here. And so I notice in verse 1 that the sheep fear the robber. Look at verse 1 again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now, who did... Israel belonged to? Who did Israel belong to? Don't overthink it. God. They belonged to God. And God had given them shepherds, so to speak. Or even in the Old Testament, the term pastor is used to care for them, to love them, to teach them, to lead them in truth. And what had happened within Judaism, within Israel, is that the supposed spiritual leaders that God had given to Israel to care for their needs had actually begun to use the people to meet their own needs, to extort the people, God's people, for their own personal gain. And Jesus is talking to who in the beginning of chapter 10? He's talking to those Religious leaders that had just thrown out the blind man who had believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and actually recognized him as Messiah. Think about that. The blind man could tell this is the Messiah, but the religious leaders with such great learning 
looked at the Messiah and couldn't see him. So the seeing were blind and the blind were seeing. Okay, in chapter 9. So Jesus is talking to these religious leaders and he says to them, your sin remaineth. And then he says, verily, verily, and you pay close attention to this is what he's saying, what I'm about to tell you. The fold, there are some of you that are like you're entering into the sheepfold, not by the door, you're climbing in another way. You're not genuine, true shepherds is what he's telling them. He's saying you're robbers. Now, sheepfolds in Bible times could be made out of stone. They, were, they didn't have a roof on them normally. Uh, they would have walls, sometimes made out of stone or sometimes briars or uh, bushes of st- different kinds, sometimes thorn bushes. And the Lord, he tells us here, came into the fold. Our Savior came into the fold of Israel the proper way. He came in through the door. He had presented his credentials. Jesus had been born of a virgin. He'd been born in Bethlehem. Jesus was the right person. He was born in the right place. He was born at the right time. He fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament. He was from the right country, and he was attended by the right signs. He's saying to them, I've come through the door into the fold of Israel, into the fold of Judaism. I've come to reach my own. But you, you haven't come in through the door. You've been skulking around, climbing over the walls into the sheepfold, like thieves and robbers, tormenting them, putting greater uh, restrictions and expectations upon them than I've ever put upon them, that I've ever required of them. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. See, he had, in chapter 9, just demonstrated his love for them. His love for not just the blind man, but his love for them all by how he healed the blind man and how he addressed the blind man in his needful condition. Remember how Jesus actually comes to the blind man? The blind man doesn't call out to Jesus. He doesn't say, Lord, heal me. There was none of that. Jesus came to him. You know, shepherds were familiar figures in the hills of Judea in those days. When Cindy and I were there a few years ago, we would, every once in a while, you'd see some shepherds, sometimes on a donkey. Um, I saw a couple of shepherds, and they would just live outside on the land and have their sheep. And I thought to myself, I'm glad I'm not him. You know, I have a dog, that's true, but I don't want to be a shepherd of sheep living on a donkey out on the land. Uh, intense, and they still live that way in some places to this very day. But shepherds in those days were very common. They were known by everyone. Uh, at least shepherding was understood by everyone in those days. So what Jesus, the illustration he's using here in chapter 10, is unfamiliar to us, that's true. And there are, I, don't, I know one person in our church who has sheep. Is there anybody else who has sheep? Anybody else? Okay. Um, so I know one person who has sheep. So most of us, it's foreign to us, how sheep think, how they operate, um, the needs they have, how to care for them. But in those days, the illustration Jesus is giving, the story he's giving is very clear to all of these people. From Bethel to Hebron is about 35 miles, and there's a plateau that stretches from Bethel to Hebron in Israel, and uh, it's fairly flat on top. It's about 13 to 15 miles wide. It tends to be rocky. Um, There is some grass there. Again, shepherds to this day use that to graze their sheep. Um, 
but the terrain is rocky. The grass can be sometimes sparse. It hasn't been always like that in Israel. Um, of course, at one point described as a land flowing with milk and honey. So there have been some changes to the topography and the vegetation in Israel. But the ground is rough. It's stony. Uh, uh, but that's where the sheep grazed. And the life of a shepherd, I got to tell you, was difficult. It was not easy. There was sometimes very little grass. You had to move your flock. There were The sheep tended to wander. There were many uh, places where the sheep could fall. There were precipices they could fall off or fall into. There were predators that would maim or maybe kill, even kill the sheep. There were thieves. And the Bible uses, Jesus uses the words thieves and robbers. And we might read that and think, well, that's a little redundant. He could have just said thieves. But actually, the thief has the idea of someone who steals by stealth, while the robber is someone who actually would be willing to do physical harm to someone to take it from someone else. So it's interesting the words that Jesus uses to describe these religious leaders. But they would steal the sheep. And the, shep- the task of the, of the shepherd, I think, was relentless. Uh, they had to be relentlessly vigilant. They had to pay constant attention to their sheep. And every day for the shepherd was long. Every day for the shepherd was arduous. And several of the most well-known people of the Old Testament were shepherds. Can you think of any of the shepherds in the Old Testament? Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Of course, Moses took care of his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years in the backside of Midian. Okay, um, David would probably be the most famous of the shepherds of the Old Testament. David, you remember killing a lion on one occasion as he tried to t- make off with one of his sheep? Uh, how many of you would go kill the lion? And how many of us would say, how about, would you like that one, the little one, or the fat one? You know, which one do you want? You know, but, but he was a good shepherd, right? He was a good shepherd. He killed a lion. And on another occasion, a bear. Uh, he was a good shepherd. And that uh, reminds me of how that was his responsibility. And he did it even putting himself in danger to fulfill his God-given responsibility. There's some lessons we can learn from that. You know, sometimes we look at the task and we're like, you know what, that's really not worth it. It's just going to take too much effort. Well, David killed a lion to protect some sheep. Okay, maybe we could exert ourselves a little bit to do what it is that God's called us to do, even sometimes putting ourselves in danger to do it. Um. But whatever the case, the shepherd's life was not, an easy, was not an easy life at all. And so there was this need of constant vigilance and fearless courage and, and patient love. I mean, he, they risked their lives sometimes for sheep, you know, which, you know, I think the puppy's using me to scratch himself, okay? I'm like a big scratcher. I think that's how he sees me. You know, I don't think he has any loyalty to me. It's just like, you know what? That guy will scratch my back. Go ahead. You can do it as long as you want to, you know. But sheep, um, I mean, maybe there's some loyalty to their shepherd, but they tend to wander away. They don't always listen. They smell, okay? Sheep smell and other things. And, 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 And there are some here who have sheep, and they could give us more detail about sheep. But patient love for his flock, these were necessary characteristics of a shepherd. Look again at verse 1, and we need to move along, but look at verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, 
but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. He's saying, he's about to say, I came in through the door. You're not. You are not. You're throwing this man out of the temple. You have no authority. You are thieves. You are robbers. You're abusive. You're misusing the sheep. And these were God's people. Of course, we know from John, he came unto his own, his own received him not. Many of them did not receive him. Many of them did not hear his voice, not recognize his voice, but others did. You know, the Lord sets the stage in verse 1 by describing the false shepherds of Israel. I want you to hold your place in John 10. And would you look back with me to Ezekiel chapter 34? Ezekiel chapter 34. It's not that far away. Take a left. It's not that far away. Ezekiel chapter 34. There are more places I could go. Um, I believe Jeremiah speaks of, of pastors. He actually identifies the Old Testament shepherds of God's people as pastors and how they were abusing the flock. Ezekiel chapter 34. Look with me at verse number 1 of Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, look at verse 1 and listen to how God describes the state of Israel, of God's people, and specifically how he describes the, the men who are supposed to be loving and caring for his people. Look at verse 1 of Ezekiel 34. And the word of the Lord came unto me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do not, or that do feed themselves, and should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, ye clothe you with the wool, ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. You're all about you. The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have ye bound up that which was broken, neither have ye brought again that which was driven away, neither have ye sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty. Have ye ruled them? And they were scattered because there is no shepherd, and they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wander through all the mountains and upon every high hill. He's talking not about animals, but his people. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. I'm going to take your sheep away from you, is what he's saying. Neither shall the shepherd, shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be meat for them. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. 
There shall they lie, a good, uh, lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. Now, I'm going to stop there. He goes on to talk about he's going to seek those that are lost. He talks about David, which seems to be that it would be reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of David, ruling and reigning someday, and as a shepherd caring for his flock. Um, but the point I'm trying to draw out to you this morning is there was a time in Israel's history where the men that had God-given responsibility to watch for the souls of God's people had neglected to do so. And they did that because they were selfish men. And they were using God's inheritance for their own personal gain. And God said, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. Now back in John chapter 10, Jesus in verse number 1 is saying, You're climbing in over the wall. You're not real shepherds. You're not good shepherds. You're a robber. You're a thief. And so I really think, I think a good illustration for their disregard um, and carelessness about God's inheritance was how they treated the blind man in chapter 9. They only would have cared about him at all if he he had been loyal to them. If he had fallen in line to promote them, then they would have been all about him. But when he was loyal to the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, they hated him, and they drove him out of the temple. So the sheep fear the robber, and the sheep, because they fear the robber and the thief, they follow the true shepherd. Look here in John 10, and look at verse 2. It says in verse 2, But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. That would have been the blind man. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Uh, Look at verse number 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. He's he's illustrating what has just happened in chapter 9. I've come to Israel through the door. Um, I haven't climbed in another way. I'm not a thief. I'm not a robber like you are. I've entered in at the door with all the right credentials. The porter knew who I was. Might well be a reference to John the Baptist. Uh, I'm not illegitimate. I'm legitimate. I've come in the door, and my sheep, this man, knows my voice. And he's following me. And he's not following you, you see. Jesus is illustrating this. And the sheep At least this blind man followed the true shepherd because they feared the thief and the robber. I think the most well-known shepherd of the Old Testament would be God. Would be God himself. Think about it. Psalm 23. L-O-R-D, all capitals. Jehovah is my shepherd, David said. The Lord is my shepherd. And many of us know that psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. In Psalm 77 and verse 20 the Bible says this, thou, to God, thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Psalm 79 and verse 13 says, so we thy people and the sheep of thy pasture will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. He's referring to us as the sheep of God. Uh, in Psalm 80 and verse 1, he says, praying to God, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, Thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. 
In Psalm 95, in verse 6, he says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. There's a number of places in the New Testament where the Lord Jesus Christ is identified as a shepherd. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is the shepherd who risks his life to seek and to save the straying sheep. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34, Jesus is the shepherd who has pity on his people, on his sheep. It says it this way, they were as a sheep, they were as sheep, uh, excuse me, they were as sheep not having a shepherd. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, the Bible says this, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He calls us a little flock. Um, uh, and then I love what Peter calls Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 25. He says it this way, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I love that. This week as I was studying and I, I thought about the Lord Jesus Christ as our shepherd, I got to tell you, a load came off of my shoulders in a way that it hasn't before as I thought about the flock that I've been given oversight and Pastor Burden and Pastor Scott have been given oversight to shepherd and Pastor Toman to shepherd and to pastor. And, and sometimes that can be a heavy load. And I want you to know, as, as I was thinking about this this week, I thought, you know what? I'm not alone in shepherding and not just without other men to help me shepherd, but Jesus is the shepherd of their souls. And Jesus can shepherd us, and he is shepherding each and every one of us in a way that a pastor, as a man, could never shepherd. He's the shepherd of our souls. A shepherd provides for his sheep. He watches and guards his sheep. He loves his sheep. He's there to correct his sheep. He goes out and seeks his sheep, you see. In a way that a pastor could never shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ shepherds you and me. Has, have, you, have, you, have you noticed him shepherding you in your life recently? I'll tell you this, I've noticed it a lot recently in my life, the Lord Jesus Christ shepherding me, protecting me, waving red flags here and there, gently rebuking me, encouraging me, consoling me, tending to me in ways that only he could do it. You know, I, I love God. And he is powerful. He is all-powerful. He is the creator. He is glorious. But you know what? He's also, by his son, my shepherd. That is a wonderful, wonderful thought. I need him. And you need him. And it encouraged my heart this week. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, we're told that God, Jesus, is that great shepherd of the sheep. What an incredible encouragement that ought to be to us this morning. Look at verse number 3. And notice how the true shepherd has access into the fold. Verse 3 says, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he called his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. Look at verse number 4, how the true shepherd is accepted by the sheep. Look at verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Let me ask you this. Do you know his voice? Do you recognize his voice? I'm not saying do you always obey his voice. I didn't ask you that. I didn't ask you, uh, do you always want to obey his voice? But do you, do you recognize his voice? Sometimes his voice is corrective. 
Sometimes his voice by his spirit and his word causes my face to turn red. Sometimes there's shame that comes washing over me as he corrects me. Only out of love and care and concern, truth. And other times I hear his voice, and I don't mean audibly, I think you know that. But I hear his voice, and his voice by his word and by his spirit is comforting. It's encouraging. It's soothing. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You're going to trust the Lord. Do you, do you recognize his voice? Because he says here, my sheep hear my voice. And they know me. And they follow me. Again, always follow. Sheep don't always follow. But a, a, a true sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ knows his voice, hears his voice, and follows him. And in our path, I wish our path through this life was a straight line, you know. You trusted Christ as your Savior, and poof, you were perfect. Never to sin again. That's not... Someday, this old body will be put off, and you'll be given a new body, and you will, there will be no more sin, okay? We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But the false shepherd has no use for Jesus' sheep other than for self-promotion. Look at verse number 5, and notice that the sheep flee from the stranger. Look at verse 5. He says, And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Look at verse 6. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So Jesus himself had come into the fold of Israel, as was foretold in the Old Testament. He himself, Jesus himself, was the door. He was the way out of dead religion, of self-righteousness. Man-centered, rebellious, unbelief. And he was the way into eternal life. You know, a door... It can be used to divide something. We have a door at our home, and those of us with young children, we have doors, right? And we're so thankful. Shut the door. <laughs> you guys play. Mommy and Daddy, a little privacy. We're shutting the door. It divides, and we're thankful for doors. Some of you say, oh, we don't have children in the home, and we still got doors. You stay out there, and I'll stay in here. But, you know, that's a different message, you know. We won't get into that. But a door, a door divides. A door, a door can secure a door can secure. It can keep something out or keep something in. It, it opens. The door opens. It gives access, and Jesus is the door. In Bible times, the shepherd was often the door for the fold. There wasn't a gate. It was just stone, and the sheep would go in, lead them in, and then he would be the door. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The shepherd would take up his place in the opening of the fold, and he'd become the door, and and he would protect them. No prowling animal could get in as long as he was there. No restless sheep could stray off in the night. In the morning, he stood aside and called his sheep out, and he would count them, and he would examine them, and he would lead them in the way he wanted them to go. Why? Because a shepherd, a good shepherd, has the best interest for his sheep in mind. 
He's not just trying to get them to do something or to be something. They're sheep. They are who they are. But he loves them where they are, for who they are. He cares for them. He tends to them. And Jesus was proclaiming himself to be the door. And only by him could people have eternal life. And he's looking at these religious men. He's saying, you remain in your sins. And you are blind. And you will remain blind because you don't think you have any need. And you're leading all of these people to think they have no need except for you. You should be like John the Baptist, knowing the word of God, saying to the people, this is the Messiah. Believe upon him. He is the Savior. But you are not. You are not. And so our Lord is the door. He is also the defender of the sheep. He is the defender of the sheep. Look at verse number 8. He says, all that, ever, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known of mine. My sheep know me. As the Father knoweth me, even so I, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The Lord is the defender of the sheep. He's not only the door, but he's also the defender of the sheep. And he tells us in this passage that there are different kinds of shepherds, and he contrasts these other shepherds to himself as the good shepherd. He doesn't compare himself with them. He contrasts. They're, of, they're not of any of the same. They're completely different. There were false shepherds in verse number 8. In verse number 8, he says, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now Moses and the prophets who came before Jesus were, were not false shepherds because they never claimed to be the one and only good shepherd. They pointed to him. They pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not robbers. They were not thieves because they never claimed that salvation came of themselves. They were like John the Baptist who proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. But the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day were substituting tradition for truth. They were substituting their oral law, laws that they were making up for the inspired written law. And Jesus condemns them as thieves and robbers. And he contrasts them as thieves and robbers from himself as a good shepherd. You know, the true shepherd saves. Look at verse number 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said in John, later on in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He is the door. He is the door. He is the true shepherd, and he saves. He gives eternal life. He gives freedom and sustenance for life. You see it there in verse number 9. 
If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. That's what would happen in a fold in those days. The sheep just didn't go into the fold and stay there. They had to go in and out. They had to eat. And the shepherd, a good shepherd, would take them in and out. He would care for them and examine them as they would pass in and out. And they would, he would lead them places to, to nourish them and give them what they needed. And you know, our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, is doing that today within this congregation, supernaturally so. He is leading individual people in and out. He is caring for you. He is giving you what you need. He is taking away things you don't need. And it's painful sometimes. And sometimes we go, I don't know if I agree with this. I think my life would be a whole lot better. I think it would be a much healthier sheep if my life fit into this box. But he is the good shepherd. And he knows. He knows exactly what our needs are as his sheep. He saves and he sustains. He secures. Look at verse number 10, the beginning part. He says, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. A good shepherd would protect against that. You know what I was reminded of when I read that? I thought, yes, they're the thief. Um, I think of, of course, the evil one who, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I was reminded of Peter and how Jesus told Peter, you're going to be sifted. Satan is desiring to sift you. And, uh, but I'm going to pray for you. And I thought to myself, as I was reminded of the thief, and I was reminded of that one who tries to, who really wants to destroy and maim and steal away that which we have or that, that which we are. And again, I think of Luke 22 and verse 31, and, Lord, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith Fail not, because our faith is prone to failing sometimes. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And what happened? Peter denied Jesus that night. You remember, not once, not twice, but three times he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you remember how the Lord had to go to Peter and restore Peter and encourage Peter. Tell him, you feed my sheep, Peter. You feed my sheep. You know, as I was thinking about Peter and I was thinking about how the Lord protects and he secures us, we are secure in his hand. I was thinking of him as the shepherd of our souls and how he actually, yes, he knows where we're tempted. He knows where we fall, but he doesn't give up on us and he prays for us and he intercedes for us. He never, he never gives up on us. Have you ever given up on yourself? Ever given up on somebody else? You know, you know I just don't know what to do anymore. You know, he always knows what to do, and he never gives up on you or me. The true shepherd satisfies. Look at verse number 10, the latter part, as we draw our, the message to a conclusion. He says in verse 10, the latter part, he says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We've talk, we talk a lot about abundant life, eternal life. Life is something we receive. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is life. And so when a person receives him, they, re they receive life. Uh, an unsaved person doesn't have life. I think there's an illustration for that in the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, chapter 4, if you were to begin to read in, in verse 1 of Genesis 4, and you'd read into chapter 5, maybe a halfway or a little bit more than that, two-thirds of the way through chapter 5, you'll read about Cain and his descendants, and you read about Seth. 
and his descendants. Now, you remember Cain was the son of, he was a twin, he was the son of who? Adam and Eve. And Cain killed his brother, Abel. And God gave to Adam and Eve another son named Seth. And of his seed was going to be a godly seed or a God-fearing seed. And when I think about life, it's interesting because over and over in those verses that I just gave you to read, it said of Seth's seed that they lived or he lived. But of Cain's seed, it's not mentioned that way. In fact, of Cain's seed, you'll find that Cain's descendants were builders of cities. They were adventurers. They were discoverers. They were inventors. They influenced arts and science. They refined uh, civilizations that were developing, and even music. The descendants of Seth took the lead in none of those areas. Yet, the Holy Spirit recorded of each one of Seth's descendants that, quote, he lived, end quote, but not of Cain. In fact, the Holy Spirit, using Moses to write it down, he states it twice for each one of them. He lived. And in an increasingly wicked world in those days, the descendants of Seth quietly bore the testimony of God. And what was that? They lived. You know, in our day and in, in, in age, it's almost, it's almost thought if, if we can do all of these things on our to-do list, if we can have all of those things on our want lists, if we can be as healthy as more healthy than anybody else that we know, then that's life. Apparently not. And apparently not in the New Testament, and apparently not all the way back in Genesis. Because Cain's descendants, they accomplished some amazing things from a human perspective, but it is not written of them that they lived. It would be better for us to live a simple life and to have the life of God than to live a complex and dramatic life of success that human, human beings declare us to be successful and wow and awe, but not have lived. You see, the Spirit of God also recorded for us that the descendants of Seth died, Enoch being the exception to that. But the death for the righteous is never final. It's just the beginning of everlasting life to come. Notice in verse number 11, we've seen that there's a false shepherd in verse 8. We, we see also there's a fearful shepherd. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. Now, as with the false shepherd, Jesus is teaching by contrast, not comparison. Jesus is the good shepherd. He gave his life for the sheep, but the hireling just doesn't care. He cares about himself more than he cares about his sheep. When it talks about there how Jesus gave his life for his sheep, there's a poem. Ira Sankey ran across many years ago when he was traveling with D.L. Moody. And as I, if my memory is correct, I was saying he had been reading an article somewhere, and he ran across this poem, and he cut it out and put it in his pocket. And that evening, D.L. Moody preached on the Good Shepherd. And uh, I was saying he was the music guy, and uh, he came to the piano, or maybe he just sang it, but he, what he did is he had never put it to music before. 
and he, he pulled it out of his pocket, and he put it to music as he, I think he sang it to the congregation for an invitation hymn. He had never done it before. He just kind of did it. Music people are kind of like that sometimes. Uh, but whatever the case, I'm going to read it to you. It's very powerful, and it has to do with how or the effort that God went through to find you and me as lost sheep. I'll read it to you. He says, But all through the mountains thunder ribbon, and up from the rocky steep there arose a glad cry to the gate of heaven, Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne, Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own, but none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. I thought that was powerful. We read about what God went through. We read about God forsaking his own son to regain his lost sheep, you and me. The hireling is afraid. The hireling shepherd just runs away. He cares less about the sheep, but God cares for you and for me. Look at verse 13. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. And Jesus was talking to these religious leaders, and he's saying, you don't care about my sheep, but I care about my sheep. God is the shepherd of his people in the Old Testament. God is the one who brings judgment upon false shepherds. God is the one who gathers his sheep and is going to gather us all together someday in one place for all of eternity be blessed and provided for him forever. Can I ask you this? Are you one of his sheep? Do you know his voice? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. Are you one of his sheep? If you are, your heart ought to be rejoicing this morning that you're one of God's sheep and that he is your shepherd, and you're not alone. Some of you have wonderful providers for you to provide for you as husbands. They provide for you as a, you as a wife. They provide for you wonderfully as, as your father. Uh, some of you have wives who are wonderful and caring for your home and looking out for you, and we, we love that when someone loves us and cares for us and provides for us. But you know what? Ultimately, we, we can fail one another, and we can let each other down, and I fail more, more than I'd ever want to even admit or probably even know. But there is someone who, the lover of our soul, the shepherd of our soul. And he's going to shepherd us through this life into eternity. And I love him. I love him. And he loves me. And he loves you. Would you take your hymnal and let's all turn to hymn number 76, O Great God. And we're going to sing, we sang it already this morning, but I want to sing it again because it speaks to some of these things. I want to sing uh, the first and the last stanza. Would you stand together with me? Hymn number 76. And let's sing about our great God and connect it to the fact that he is our personal shepherd who loves our souls. 